Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 51 for Star Trek Picard, season one, episode four, Absolute Candor. I am your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and I am pleased to say that I am no longer waging a cold war via proxy with my co-host. Welcome back, Ch- Captain Sabriel Mastin. Hello, Sabriel. <laughs> Are you like the, the creepy guy, the shadow guy? Not a temporal cold war, but I guess it could be. <laughs> And I'm so pleased to also welcome back the ambassador who brokered the peace between me and my captain, Chief Archivist Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hello. All three of us on one show. It's mind-blowing. Amazing. <laughs> there w- Can we keep this under four hours? We'll find out. Yeah, oh. I know, right? That's a that's a tall ask. <laughs> I'm probably just going to like Homer fade into the shrubbery and let you two talk it out. <laughs> I listened to last week's episode and I was like, oh my gosh, they are so much smarter than me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but there was, in fact, no Cold War. It was just a matter of travel. Sabriel, you were down in Disney World, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that is so much fun. Did you go to Galaxy's Edge? I was actually on the Edge? planet of... Yeah, I was on the planet of Batu exploring uh, the Outer Rim. Oh my Super gosh. jealous. So you mean that Star Trek fans can also be Star Wars fans? I know, it's weird and shocking. Mind-blowing. Don't tell my 13-year-old self. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh my gosh, we were so brand loyal at that age. (laughs) And I myself was in San Antonio for work, and I do indeed remember the Alamo, which does not have a basement. Ah, lies. I've been lied to. I know, right? Where was I then? (laughs) That's a question for another day. Uh, But today, we will be speaking with absolute candor as we review the fourth ever episode of Star Trek Picard. I believe we have a TLDR on deck. Yeah, uh, you know, I can no longer, I don't know if I can call them TLDRs, but I I tried. I'm going to break it up into two parts here because there's two stories going on here that haven't intertwined yet. Um, First, the Borg Cube, the artifact. Soji is watching a talk show interview with Ramda from before. She was assimilated, assimilated where she was talking about Romulan Ragnarok, brought by the Destroyer. Soji's also becoming suspicious of Narek and informs him of, as such, like a terrible spy. Narek tries to distract her with an impromptu date, but he presses her for more information about her past, and she scoffs and walks off. Narek's sister speaks with him privately and seductively once again, telling him that his methods are too slow and he has one week to get the information they're looking for, or it's violence time. Switching gears over to the planet of Vashti. This is in the Beta Quadrant. Picard asked Rios to make a pit stop to this planet on their way to Free Cloud. And Vashti is a planet where 14 years ago, Picard was helping Romulan refugees settle before the attack on Mars. While people were friendly to him before, in a... T- in the time since, and his lack of any further help, he is now looked at, or he is now not looked at fondly. Picard is here to meet with friends from long ago, the sisterhood of warrior nuns known as the Coat Millet. Oh God, Coat Millet. The Coat Millet lend their blades, if deemed worthy, for those who fight for lost causes. They are still friendly to Picard. Picard asks the young man Elnor 
who he had known as a boy 14 years ago, for his aid. Elnor doesn't give up or doesn't give an answer, but Picard assumes no. On his way back to the ship, Picard stages a one-human sit-in at a Romulan-only bar, and the people there push back, remembering Picard, remembering that Picard left them to their own devices years ago. Picard is rescued by Elnor, who decides to go with Picard and decapitates the lead aggressor who is fighting Picard. The tube team back to the ship is attacked by a local warlord, and a small ship comes out of nowhere helping fend off the attack, but is now in distress after taking critical damage. The pilot of this mystery ship is beamed aboard, and it's seven of nine. The end. Yay! Hooray! Well, thanks for tuning in to Transporter Lock. Listen to you next week. And- <laughs> wow. So, yeah, a lot happened, and I like how you broke it down into two plots. Which one should we discuss first? Let's get the Borg out of the way. All right. Yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just deal with them. I l- yeah, they're nothing now. <laughs> I loved your comment, Amanda, last week about the Hansi twins. Like, yeah, they are very uncomfortably hey. intimate. <sighs> yeah, so I actually, in my notes, um, I, I went through chronologically, and uh, that, when uh, Narissa shows up, I basically just wrote the return of the Hansi twins, mm-hmm. um, because my goodness. They, um, the Hansi twins are back communicating the only way they know how with creepy death threats and taunts. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's so weird. Like these two remind me of the movie Cruel Intentions. Oh wow. gosh. Yeah. Like Sarah Michelle Gellar telling uh, her stepbrother, I want to, and then uh, get it on a uh, cleanup version. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That is exactly it. That's Yeah. You nailed that. <laughs> uh, they're both plotting their own little things, and but she is uh, very stuck in her ways of no. Let's just kill her for information. Like, <laughs> good, good old know. pain and torture. Yeah, and I don't know why she is in such a hurry. Maybe think- there is a something a reason, but I don't know if we've seen it. So she, Narek says to Soji that he might know someone who has access to the records of what happened to the Romulan ship that got assimilated that Ramda was from. And um, obviously Nerissa is the person that he's referring to because he actually asks her, what did happen to them? Why did they all lose their minds? What happened there? And she does not give him a straight answer. She didn't give him, give him any answer. The only answer she gives him is like, you're getting too involved with Zoji. <laughs> Yeah. Which to me is very suspicious. So she's, maybe she's jealous at this point. <laughs> she's jealous. And I think she also see, thinks that like he's being diverted from their cause, which does beg the question of what does she know that she doesn't want him to know that might distract him further or lead him to no longer be as loyal to their cause as she is. Oh, Romulans and their secrets. Very much so. And there was clearly something on that ship that caused the Borg breakdown, but it it couldn't have been oh, yeah. unique to the Romulan race itself because, Sabriel, as you pointed out, the Borg were first introduced to us in TNG by scooping up Romulan colonies. So if it was unique to the entire race, we would have seen this by now. Maybe, maybe the Romulans are planning something like Picard did with Hugh. Hmm. And they had some kind of um, a dummy ship. Like maybe these people on the ship had no, the Shaynor had no clue that they were uh, part of some plot. 
or maybe they knew that they were carrying something important and they just didn't it just they just they got captured or maybe yeah. kind of like on Voyager with Echeb where there's some sort of a biological weapon on board Oh, that's right, yeah. I'm surprised that he hasn't been brought back up, because we've seen Hugh, we've seen Seven of Nine, basically every named humanoid that was assimilated at some point has been brought back, but not Echeb. Echeb's actor is kind of uh, not happy with the Star Trek franchise, and how he is... He's he's not the best... He's not on best terms with uh, Paramount. Oh, I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah, he's kind of a... Now, Hugh was not on this week's episode, but did anybody find it odd that he wasn't more specifically called out last week? I mean, if you know who Hugh is, then you may have picked up on it because he was only named like once or twice. But I thought something more obvious would happen, like Hugh would say something like, when I met Picard, blah, blah, blah. Well, they don't even know Picard is a piece in this yet. Right. At least he doesn't. Yeah, they don't. The show might have made a bigger deal out of it, even if the characters in universe don't. Yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, um, yeah, I see what you're saying, Ken. I think also, I mean, it is only episode four. It's entirely possible that he'll come back, and that he just didn't fit into this episode. Um, and it may call more attention to who he was, if and when Picard arrives at the cube. Like right now, it may not have mattered who he was, really. And sort of an Easter egg for fans, because I I said I've said this is a show for fans of the shows. Right, they don't need that spelled out for them. This is not an introduction to Star Trek. Right, they don't need that spelled mm-hmm. out for them. So I, I get why they might not have called it out, but I am sure that right. Hugh and Picard will at some point come face to face. They really should <laughs> absolutely. By the way, there was a question earlier about the number of days since the last assimilation and how it was 16 years ago, whereas yeah. this Borg or the the whole synthetic revolt only happened 14 years ago. I have some insight into that, some new insight. So this was actually brought up to me by one of my coworkers, and it's something that I should have remembered, that 11 years ago when Star Trek 2009 came out, kind of like when Picard came out, there was a series of comic books called Countdown. It was sort of a prequel. Mm-hmm. And you may remember in the 2009 movie, Nero is going around in his mining ship, just utterly destroying Starfleet. Yes, he And you was. might wonder, even if he's from the future, why does a mining ship have that level of armament? I forgot. That's right. So in the future, before he went through the black <gasps> hole, Nero went to a secret Romulan base and got his mining ship outfitted with Borg technology. It does. It all fits together. And you... You know, it's strange. I'm actually really impressed. (laughs) I forgot about that. It is interesting because this last week I was actually thinking a lot about Star Trek 2009 and Nero. We saw after this episode, multiple people have different people who they blame for what happened to Romulus. Like like the senator that we see here blames, uh, at one moment blames Picard and then also just blames Starfleet. Where like uh, we saw Nero who blamed uh, Spock. Mm. And uh, I just found that interesting. Like everyone's just upset, but but a lot of people don't seem. Well, to be I mean, upset who the same ultimately can people. take responsibility for a supernova? It's nobody's fault, but there has to be somebody to blame. Well, I think the blame isn't so much for what happened; it's mm-hmm. for failures in the chain of assistance. That here were people who said, "I'm going to come help you," 
and then that help either failed or didn't materialize to the extent that it was promised. Um, and the people who said that they were going to help, if they if that help didn't work out, then it's their failure and therefore they're to blame for that help not working. Um, I also found it really interesting if we're, we're talking about our Romulan former senator turned uh, mercenary, I guess, um, that he talks about how you caught us at our weakest. You showed up when we doubted ourselves. He specifically says when we doubted our own ingenuity and self-reliance and you offered us help and now we are scattered and weakened, which is just what you wanted, which is such a very Romulan paranoid way of looking at things as we've always been presented sort of Romulan view on outside species. Um, But also there is a, a question of you never got to know the culture that you were trying to help which I think takes the like white savior trope and just prods at it until, until it falls apart that you should have known us before you tried to help us. And then Picard saying, we didn't have time. I wanted to save your lives and I didn't have time to get to know you before that happened. Uh, right. Picard surely, totally is doing this white savior thing. He comes yeah. in July and true July and true yeah. trying to be there for like, Well, Hey guys, I'm back. <laughs> and, uh, they're like, no, uh, <laughs> we don't want you here. Yeah, anymore. we, we, you, we saw through this. You, you tried to help, and then when your help failed, instead of continuing to help, like the nun says, you couldn't help everyone, mm-hmm. so you chose to help no one. Yeah, and the Romulans, since yeah. we're talking about that scene now, are not just xenophobic; they're specifically against humans because that sign that said Romulans only was written in English. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> It might be, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. It might be just Federation standard idea. Yeah. But, I mean, it, you're not wrong. There's definitely an attitude yeah. of humans specifically we're not too fond of. And the way they talk, though, this planet is visited by humans frequently. So yeah. it's like, almost like the, not maybe not Starfleet, but, you know, the group of people, the merchant marines or whatever like that who travel. The smugglers, yeah. the nerf herders. Uh, the ones who aren't trying to help, but are at least honest in what they're trying to do. Yeah. You know, I, f- I feel like there's probably an attitude towards Starfleet of, you said you would help, and then you turned your back on us. We feel more comfortable with scoundrels who at least say they're not trying to help, they just want money. You know? Well, I think that's something Star Trek has not explored very much, but no- mentions every now and then, like... Not every human is part of Starfleet. I mean, we saw that yeah. with um, uh, what's his butt from Discovery slash TOS, uh, Harry Mudd. Yeah. Or, or but like, usually in Star Trek, Romulans are all part of the Romulan Star Empire, or are, are all part of uh, the military, or Ferengi are all part of this, or you know that. And I like seeing this other side of humanity that is not Starfleet or not part of the Federation. Yeah, and that's one thing that Picard is doing really well, and it's been doing it for the previous several episodes, is showing us aspects of Romulan culture beyond the military, such as showing us the tarot deck. And in this episode, we see, you know, the con, uh, the convent, and we see civilians, people who are not in the military, and people who are just trying to get by and make a living. I mean, how often have we ever seen Romulan children? Yeah. Yeah. Or we even saw saw that uh, they have talk shows. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they have a Romulan talk show that interviews uh, Romulan 
like myth experts. Fantastic. Uh, Maybe it's their own history channel. I don't yeah. know where it's like, was it aliens? <laughs> In today's was mythology. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that talk show interview, and we're again switching scenes, I loved the composition that put the Romulan hologram oh, so right over Soji's face. Superimposed mm-hmm. right over her. It was amazing. I loved that. There were a couple of other things in that scene that I thought were really interesting just in terms of set dressing. Um, There is a photograph of Daj and Soji together in the like bottom left-hand corner while she's watching Ramda on screen. And Ramda is talking about the Armageddon and the Destroyer. And I thought that was a really purposeful, you know, yeah, it's not just that she has a picture of herself and her sister. It's on screen while we're hearing about what destruction they will bring. And these cards, these yeah, the cards, cards. again. Uh, she's using them similar to the way that uh, Rhonda did. But then we jump talking about hard card games like we had discussed previously over on uh, Vashti. People are using them like playing cards. Yeah. I want a deck of these cards. I want... Uh, I want to actually have a deck in hand. I would love to look at them. And I'm now curious, are these just a thing that you can get pretty much anywhere? Are they easy to find? They look pretty worn, both sets that we see in this episode. And I'm wondering if the deck that Soji has is Ramda's deck. Because Ramda Mm -hmm. herself is undergoing some sort of medical treatment. And she's not conscious. So did Soji take her cards to look at them? or? Did she just requisition a set of Romulan playing cards? It probably would not be difficult to have them replicated to be of a certain age. True. I just, I think it's interesting that we see these cards and they all look exactly the same. But I'm just wondering if, if Soji got her own set or if that set is Ramda's. If they are the Romulan equivalent of tarot cards, there are such variety to, to human tarot cards you know, you can go on Patreon or Kickstarter and find a gajillion different styles. I wonder if and Romulans are equally open to interpretation. Tarot also has, um, and I'm not an expert, but I have been curious about it. Tarot also has a sort of tradition where you're not supposed to buy your own set. You're supposed to get it from a friend or have it given as a gift or steal it. It's, but it's not supposed to be something that you go and you decide, I'm going to buy this. Um, there's also... Your set is yours. It's personal. It, it absorbs your energies, theoretically, while you're carrying it. So it's not going to do the same thing for other people. That's part of sort of the mythos of tarot cards. <laughs> um, Way to get out of it. <laughs> I, have, I have friends who are real into it, so I listen. And But I think that's very it, – it makes the idea of these cards being used as a sort of divination tool very interesting. Especially if you're replicating them. Do they carry the same weight if they're replicated <laughs> cards or if they're cards that have been handed down to you? We also see Soji being planted with a seed of doubt about her own identity yes. and history. Uh, almost, almost a sc- I'm getting to the points where with the, the uh, twins or the, ki- the siblings, I just like not quite tune out to the level I did with Discovery and what's his butt, uh, the Klingon human, um, Ash. Oh, yeah. But I'm like kind of getting there, like, oh, come on, just get on with it. Kind of feeling. So what is it that you want them to get on with? You want Soji to realize that she's know. not necessarily I, human, I, like Dash did? I don't find this. I don't find the way they're doing about this the most interesting. 
I found the the slipper sock thing sliding around in the vents. I was like, oh, the ancient yeah. Borg ritual. Yeah, yeah, the ancient Borg ritual, <laughs> and then like he's like sending kisses out into the ventilation duct. Like, 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 like it, it, she's telling him, like, silly. I don't trust you, and he's like, let me distract you. Yeah, come <laughs> come play around in the middle of a Borg cube with me. Um, there were some interesting lines I felt between the two of them in those scenes. Um, yeah. There's uh, Soji saying about Ramda, I felt seen, even if she didn't like what she saw. And then Narek saying, I see you, which I thought, oh, buddy, could you be more obvious? <laughs> <laughs> He's like he's like section 31 level of bad spy. <laughs> oh, so obvious. Um and then are you Tal Shiar? No. Would you still say no if if you were? Yes. You have to tell me you're a cop. <laughs> That's the rules. <laughs> he's the most obvious. Though I guess, you know, if he's not just Tal Shiar, but um if he's Jotfash, then I guess he's not being like completely dishonest, <laughs> like he's in the Tal Shiar, but he's not just Tal Shiar. Anyway, there were a couple of good um, lines in there. I I am curious about how she did learn such good Romulan, because oh. while she was likely programmed with it, she says it was an old friend of my father's. I'm really curious as to whether there is an actual old friend of Bruce Maddox's who um, speaks Romulan. Well, I see that sets up some background. Maybe uh, a Romulan helped Maddox create mm. the androids. Yeah. And we still don't know what Maddox's goal in all this is. I mean, he created at least two synthetics, one of which applied to the Daystrom Institute, the other which is working on a Romulan Borg cube. And... Why? I mean, what what is what does it mean for them to be activated, and why do they even have that function? I don't have an answer. I saw a hypothesis that I don't know if there's much leading to it yet, but that maybe Maddox is an android as well. See, I was going to bring up that maybe Agnes is, is an android. <laughs> maybe she's not a plant already. I mean, she could be so, both. So wait, so wait, are you saying that Maddox yeah. in Measure of a Man was android, or he's since been replaced by an android? The, the, hypothesis, the hypothesis that he is, was an android back then, and this is not mine, remind you, and that uh, he was trying to create more. He was trying to use data to figure out, like, whoa, someone else finally made something like us, and was wanting to research that. And then, for whatever means now, who knows, maybe make more of them. I don't know. And um, well, maybe that would have to do with this uh, Romulan Ragnarok as well. These demons. Maybe there's an ancient race of androids. I don't know. Star Trek does lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> Star um, Trek does do a lot of things. Yeah. And we're also glossing over one of the coolest little subtle moments on the Borg ship. Uh, as uh, Narek is taking Soji to the ancient ritual, he's like, they say there is no ancient rituals, but there actually is one. And then Soji does the data head tilt. Oh, I missed it because I got distracted both times. <laughs> it was. I, I, I saw it. Watch it. I watched it the first time, and I was like, oh, "She did the thing." I tweeted about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really curious about what 
we're going to find out. Also, I'm really, I love that you're calling it the Romulan Ragnarok, Cyril, because <laughs> that brings in, uh, to me, the Fenris Rangers, whom we oh. know nothing about except their name, but I want to know more about them, please. Thank you. I didn't think of that connection, but yeah, uh, the, the Fenris Rangers are people who basically space marshals who are watching over the area that Vashti is in. Compared, Vashti is now uh, kind of like the Outer Rim in Star Wars yeah. or Space Old West. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely a Marshall on Mars sort of deal. Um, I, I love the idea that there are these folks out there who aren't Starfleet. They're not associated with a specific planet or species or government, but they've, you know, put themselves together as this group of folks that help folks out but they've got limitations so yeah they helped on vashti set they helped set up the planetary defense system which is such a wonderfully star trek here's a thing that's going to limit our access to our away team and complicate yeah. their you know escape from a planet that's such a star trek thing and it made me really happy well, um, it's a way that star trek has done before where they, they yeah. Ignore this idea that, you know, you can just beam people out whenever you want. Well, now we find out you can't. Yeah, we've, we've put a barrier in place, so you can't just do that. Um, because once you've created a convenience, like communicators or transporters, you have to find a way for them to not be convenient 100% of the time. Um, sort of, you know, horror movies from years and years ago didn't have the convenience of cell phones. So there were times when people were going to be out of touch. Well, now in a, a current horror movie, you've got to find a way for a cell phone to not be useful. Um, so you've got, always got to break your your conveniences and make them yes. not convenient. Um, yeah, I I love the idea that Vashti is sort of out in uh, the boonies and that it it's somewhat beyond the reach of Picard most of the time. He had to find an unregistered ship to go out there at this point. He resigned from Starfleet. He no longer has the command that he used to. So here's a guy who had a lot of privilege and a lot of resources, and he tried to make a statement by stepping down from it, and all it lost him was a lot of his privilege. And he hasn't, uh, I think he hasn't realized that he's actually lost it until now. I love Rafi was so annoyed that uh, they're making this pit stop. And he's like, man can't even take a guilt trip without using a starship. Such a good line. <laughs> I I love, though, that they they have a very almost heartfelt um, interaction in his little hollow study where she's like, we can't do this. We got to focus. We can only do one impossible thing at a time. And he says, I may never get out this way again. Yeah, like and a she, nod to his disease. Yeah, she doesn't. She she doesn't argue at that point. And I think to me that tells me that she does actually care about him beyond the sort of anger and frustration with him, which is justifiable on her part. Um, she does care about him. And once he sort of pulls that, hey, I'm I'm dying sort of thing, she kind of has no comeback to that. And she does. And, you know, credit to Michelle Hurd. She does play that scene very, very well. We also get more feeling out of their connection, or more oh. of an idea out of their relationship than that whole 14 years ago yes. thing from a few weeks ago. Definitely. I think this uh, 14 year ago, years ago, cold open 
served more purpose than that 14 years ago cold open did. Okay. I wrote that too. I feel like we're taking away from Ken here. I, <laughs> you want to add anything more? But before we said like the, the flashbacks. I did don't like the cold open, even though it took me a moment to figure yeah. out that it was out of order from the previous cold opens. But one thing I didn't like about it was it reminded me of the Discovery Season 2 character of Arium, where we didn't really know her backstory and how she came to be who she was until the episode where she died. And in this episode, they introduced the young Romulan boy just before he became relevant. So when they went back to the planet, we know, I mean, it's very predictable, he's going to see the adult boy, that's who he's going to recruit to his ship, because they wouldn't have just introduced him otherwise. If they'd brought him in as an idea or a concept like an episode or two earlier, then they would have been like, oh, that's the boy from a few episodes ago, now he's all grown up. And I think it would have been more impactful. I just worry that they're trying to do so much in every episode that trying to introduce another character in a different episode and then not have him show up would be one more thing for people to have to keep track of outside of each individual episode's plot. I mean, it's almost yeah. back to what we were just talking about with Hugh. They introduced him, but didn't talk with, they introduced him, but didn't really introduce him at all. Yeah. I can see the pros and cons to both approach. Yeah. And at least in this case, the young boy is being introduced in the very first episode that doesn't have Picard's two helpers back on his vineyard. Right. We don't have Shaban and and Laris. And I'm really disappointed that we don't have Shaban and Laris anymore because they were great characters, as you and I have discussed, Amanda. (laughs) And they, they even said, you're not going out there without us. And she was like, idiot, fine. You take him with you and you can both die out in space together. I did like they and still. That didn't happen. They still are connected. Jabon sent to the hospitality hologram. Who the, thoroughly the, mispronounced his name, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> but, um, uh, they recreated the, the his room in the chateau, which basically gives us a ready room. Yeah. To talk, yeah, and it reuses a set. Yeah. Yes, it does. Very practical. And I he love must it. have taken that scan just before they left. Because it has the necklace on the, the necklace, open book. Yeah. yeah. And I don't I think Picard put that there when he no. entered the hologram. I, think. I mean, maybe, but I don't I, think so. I don't think. I think he's probably keeping that very close to his heart. And also, when he puts the program on hold, the birds stop flying, but the fire keeps crackling. That's very specific. That's a very Star Trek problem. That has happened before, <laughs> actually, I think. <laughs> okay. Now, also, how many emergency holograms have we now seen? They're Four, so good. I, like, I love them. I love them too. I love that the hospitality one just knows as soon as Rios shows up, he's like, yeah. oh, I'm out. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the hospitality guy. hologram. I love the hospitality hologram is Southern. Because Southern it's hospitality. So good. Um, I also like the other one that we find, which is the uh, the weapons the one. Has yeah. a name. He's Emmett. Not, he's, he's Emmett. He's not just a hologram. He's a well, named guy, and he seems and to be the most independent. This is the one that that Rios actually seems to talk to because they're like conversing yeah. in Spanish. Well, I, I I don't know when he created this hologram, but it's like he made a hologram based on one of his uh, the day after a rough night in Mexico. Yes, <laughs> and like I said, he seems the most independent because there is a point where he stops firing. He offers opinions. Yeah. And Rios and, pays attention. 
I found that interesting. And I, I love that hologram. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're coming. I'm gonna be like, we're gonna hit that barrier. Nine point six seconds. <laughs> they're, they're driving st- us into the planetary defense barrier. That's what we're doing. And I don't, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I'm still confused why Starfleet doesn't consider holograms to be a synthetic life form. Well, the only thing I talked before is the definition has like physical connotations, like an actual body. These are light bodies. I mean, that's the only thing I could really think of. I think they're an AI, but not a because they have no physical body. They end up not falling under it. And also, these guys don't seem to have been developed, but are used as a tool. And they go back in their box when they're not needed. They can't cause you know any physical harm to the people on the ship, I guess, because they can be deactivated. I don't know. I mean, whether it. Whether we see it or not, does it mean Starfleet does, I guess? Because we we see with Emmett that this is a hologram that can choose when and when not to fire the ship's phasers, and that is potentially threatening. I mean, that's how Skynet starts. <laughs> we had that seven years discussion on Voyager 2, uh, but it seems like Starfleet just, uh, nope, uh, the Doctor is something special. We'll, we'll make a loophole for them. Yeah. I also wonder how easily emergency holograms are customized because prior to this, we've only seen them based on either Robert Picardo or Andy Dick. And now um, apparently you can make one that's based on just yourself. Yeah, it's been like 20 years. so Over and over and uh, over again. Technology changes apparently. Right. And I saw hypotheses. I wonder, people are wondering if Rios himself is also a hologram, Ooh. especially with reading Ooh. that book. Because he's always reading that one how interesting. Oh, you know what? He is the captain of this ship, and he said that his previous captain had his brain splattered over the hull. Maybe that was himself. Yeah, that was the part of the hypothesis. That's it's terrifying. So- right? <laughs> and it also does fit really well into the conversation he has with uh, Agnes. Their incredibly awkward conversation about the existential <laughs> pain of living with the consciousness of death that defines us as human. Yeah. Which is what he says the book is about. I thought you meant the extremely awkward conversation about the definition of space. I love that. I mean, that. it's all part of the same intensely yeah. awkward conversation. Well, I wrote that about Gerardi in this episode is basically the internet commentators. Like, yeah. huh, turns out space is really boring to travel in. It's so empty. And then later on, she's like, people who talk with absolute candor. Sounds like that could be annoying. That could get really <laughs> irritating. Am I part of the crew now? Is this a secret meeting? <laughs> well, that's one of the things I like about this crew is that if you want, you could try to pigeon them, hold them into specific roles. Like you could say that Raffi is chief of security or that Agnes is, you know, the head of roboticism or whatever. But this is not a typical crew. This is not like what Picard had on the Enterprise D. You don't have oh. Worf and Riker and Crusher in these neatly defined little slots. Oh, speaking of Gerardi, uh, we see that. The way she talks, it sounds like extended space travel is something new to her, which was interesting because yeah. in, yeah. in Star Trek, we've always seen that people like flying long distances is so normal for humanity. But we see like at least one human, space travel is kind of an, still new to her, or at least extended space travel. Oh, sure. I don't think it's a matter of access or privilege, but just necessarily uh, necessity and desire. I mean, Need. you know, like yeah. people like you and I say, real, we go to conferences all the time and we are accustomed to flying, but I know people our age who have never been on a plane. I'm rarely traveling 
every once in a while I'll be going to a professional conference, but for the most part, I stick close to home. So, yeah, I, I, I think you're probably I, right. I found it fascinating that we just hadn't not really seen that much in Star Trek. Yeah, she's definitely a new type of character. And I think part of it also is that we're used to seeing Starfleet. Yeah. And we're used to watching characters who consciously chose to join a an outfit that puts them in space all the time. And we aren't spending a lot of time in most Star Trek episodes at all planet-bound. We don't spend a lot of time with people who are in Starfleet but staying on Earth. Or in Starfleet but not leaving a space station. I mean, even DS9, they left the station all the time. Yeah. So, and they got there. You know, they went out to DS9, and that wasn't even a human station to begin with. It's not a human station then. It just happens to have Starfleet co-running the show. Well, it's like you two said but, last week. Star Trek isn't about going to places we've already been, like Earth. It's about going to places we haven't. Exactly. Well, see, I like, I like that they're adding to the uh, now we're going, we will also go to places we've been, but see, we'll, we'll actually explore it. Yeah. As opposed to just assuming like it's this utopia. Right. Because Earth of 400 years from now, I'm sure is something very familiar to Starfleet, but it's very new to those of us in the year 2020. Yes. Um, looking through my notes as well, because there's, there's a thing that we haven't talked as much about. That was my one of my two all caps notes after the first time I watched the episode, which was Romulan warrior nuns. Yes, can we which talk is a about great them? Line. They're great. I loved <laughs> them and the whole concept and their whole like the candor. It was weird seeing uh, Romulans speaking with such candor, and I loved yeah. it. And they are they are the direct opposite of the Tal Shiar. They are the opposition to the Tal Shiar. They speak with honesty, where the Tal Shiar is all about secrets. And I love their little hand motion, which um, my mother and I talked a little bit about. They start with the hands closed in front of them and then open them. And to me, that is uh, you showing yourself as an open book. I had thought of that. That's perfect. Because here I am, and I'm open and honest. There were a lot of great lines from the uh, the Romulan nuns. Uh, Promises are a prison. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I'm going to start living by that one. <laughs> that was really great. Um, you know, promises are a prison. Would you become someone's jailer? What a great line. What an interesting thing for a, a Romulan character to say. Yeah. And then later, Picard saying, I made a promise to you and I broke it to all of the people at the Romulan Social Club. There he is saying, I made a promise and that promise was a prison and I, I, I couldn't maintain it. And there are the nuns having warned don't make a promise. You don't know if you can keep it or not. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. I loved the nuns. I thought uh, the main character, whose name I completely... I wrote Zani. it down. Zani. She's awesome as a foil for Picard because she can call him on his nonsense. Yes. Love it. 
but we also see something uh, we see a side of Picard that we haven't seen which is one where he actually enjoys being with children well a specific child (laughs) yeah let's not go too far here why do you think he made the exception for that one I think um, we know that he's lost family towards um, the end of sort of the next generation era. That's true. We know that he lost his nephew and his brother. And that was a child that he did care very deeply for. And I think um, I think helping with the Romulan diaspora was definitely something that put Picard in a position of learning about people and having contact with people that he had always assumed the worst of and discovering that there was so much to like and appreciate. And I think that may have been something that drew him to Elnor, that here is this kid who is in desperate need of a a mentor and of a a parent parental figure, because let's face it, the nuns are great caretakers, but they're not you know, a parental figure in the same way that uh, Picard would have been. And here, sure. here he is. And here's this kid who wants swashbuckling adventures. And Picard would love that. He was a fencer anyway. <laughs> and here he is bringing, you know, the three musketeers to Elnor and Elnor just eating it up. I mean, getting closer while Picard reads the story, asking him so about parrying and stuff, which is fantastic. That was adorable. I, I, I think even on TNG, Picard was softening on kids. And I think Wesley yeah. Crusher had a big part of that. And, and you disaster. Know, um, yep. Yeah. He's climbing the turbo lift shaft with the kids and or singing for Arjaka. Or when he is turned into a kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. One dad. Love rascals. That's great. So good. Um, but I mean, like, even with age, sometimes, like, I've softened on kids, too. <laughs> I mean, I don't love them, but I don't want my own, but I've softened on kids. Like, time can also do things to you, too. That's interesting, because in my own personal life, what I more often see is the older you get, the less you like kids, because you have less energy to put up with their antics. See, I work with kids, <laughs> and I see a flip side to that, which is... The less energy you have to keep up with them, the more their energy seems to invigorate some people <laughs> of working with kids. And this is something that my coworkers, my older coworkers have said is working with kids keeps me young um, because it reminds you of what is so far away from you. And I think there was also part of that. And maybe he saw a little bit of him, his young self in Elnor. I mean, there's the sword fighting, there's the fencing, there's the... Um, feeling solitary because you do get the feeling that Picard felt solitary as a kid, even though he had a brother, his brother was the responsible one. And Picard himself was a bit of an anomaly. He didn't stay home. He went out into space. And I I think there's definitely a, a sense that he's seeing in Elnor things that he saw in his own childhood. That being said, there's definitely a bit where Elnor is looking for parental validation, very personal validation from Picard, and Picard speaks very impersonally. And I know that was intentional, and it it hurt my heart a bit, which is where Elnor says, "I, I he's giving his uh, his story 
to Elnor to try and explain why he needs a uh, warrior to help him. And he explains, this is what's happening. I had my friend Data, which Elnor immediately says, oh, that's always a sad story. Um, Picard gives him the whole history and says, I need uh, Kalkakai. And Elnor says, okay, you've explained why you need a warrior, but why do you need me? And he's really looking for Picard to say, I need you because you are important to me as a person. And Picard flubs it up. He does. He fails. Totally. See, like, what, that whole scene was weird to me because it felt like, maybe it was because I'm on the outside, but it felt like Picard could have, I felt like he should have seen how uh, Elner was upset when he threw the bread down. And then Picard just kind of ignores that and then goes on his diatribe anyway, instead of being like, hey, I'm sorry, I hurt you. And I think that uh, also talk. speaks to how little time he's spent with Elnor through the years since he left Vashti that last time. That, And he's not a parent. He doesn't have kids. And I do see this at work, that there are adults who, with the best of intentions, will flub interactions with kids because they, they don't realize in the moment what needs to be said. And I think that's possibly what's happening here that with yeah, the best maybe. of intentions he's you know mucking it up because he's saying i need you because i need your skills thinking he's speaking with an adult and yeah, then he's speaking to an adult about the rational reason why he needs this particular person to come whereas what elnor is really looking for is is a, a parent figure to say i want you with me and I don't think anyone has ever really told Picard that. He's always worked with officers, you know? That's true. He's never had to justify to an officer, to an underling, I want you because I care about you. It's always, I want you because you're the best person for the job. Hmm. He's never had to justify himself to a person emotionally in that way. Even his Romulan housekeepers were... Yeah. In Telshiar. And they, you, you know, they, they would be, it's, yes, he has come to care for them, but they wouldn't expect him to talk to them like that. Yeah. They would expect him to talk to them about the practicalities. And that's definitely not what Elnor is wanting. And that's something I noticed both about Elnor and about Raffi, that no matter how Picard has treated them in the past, no matter how much they resent Picard now, they are nonetheless willing to pledge their blades to his cause. Very much. So what is it, what is it about Picard yeah. that he can mistreat people or at least neglect them for 14 years, and yet when he needs them, they're still there for him? Other than they know what he can be, the promise of what he can be seems to be. like They know every one of the people he's done that to who still speak to him uh, seem to know Picard on some kind of close level. Yeah. We all screw up. Uh, I, I, there are relationships in my life where I've not done the best, but but sometimes people come back to me. I've had known people who treated me terribly, but I know I feel like I know them, and after some time, still speak with them. I know, the, the, the closest I could come to was imagining if someone who had hurt me years ago, let's say 
like an ex-girlfriend or something who I haven't spoken to in years and might still resent came to me and said, you know, I'm sorry that I did this to you, but now I'm in this situation where if you don't help, I might die or whatever. And I would be like, are you sorry you hurt me only because now you're in this situation? Do you actually need my help? And I I don't know that I could be as generous or as open or as forgiving as Elnor and Rafi are being. I would like to think that I would be, but that's a really difficult situation to predict. I think that, that, that gives you some weight to these people's feelings then. I think there's also the fact that Picard isn't just asking for his own sake. He is asking for the sake of someone who's li- someone else whose life is in danger. I mean, has he said to Elnor, I'm sick and I'm dying? No, he hasn't. He mentions, you know, that his knees aren't what they once were, which definitely brings in the fact that he's an older man than he was 14 years ago. But he's not saying to Elnor, this is our last chance for us to bond together. He's saying, I'm in a desperate situation and it's not, this isn't for me. This is for someone else. And I think there's a an openness to that that other people are responding to. That they know that even when Picard is at his worst, he cares deeply about other people, often other people he's never met. That he sees the necessity of self-sacrifice in order to save someone else. And so I think there's a there's a response to that on the part of Rafi, on the part of Elnor, that are this guy isn't asking for forgiveness for his own sake. He's asking for forgiveness on behalf of another person that he hasn't even met and that he knows might die if we don't help them. So I don't I don't I think if he was just coming to them and being like, I'm in trouble, that might be a different situation. But coming to them and saying someone else is in trouble and it could mean something huge and without any help i can't help that's a very important distinction so in the hypothetical i just came up with where somebody came to me and said i need your help ken or else i might die it'd be more accurate to say i need your help or else my partner might die i need you know he needs a kidney transplant could you please check to see if you're compatible yeah it's it's not the personal it's much bigger. And because Picard is showing, this isn't me. I'm not asking for my sake. I'm asking for the sake of someone else. Um, and because he has a history of that. If he didn't have a history of asking for help to do big jobs, then that might not carry the same weight. Whereas they know he asks for help, not for himself, but for others. So if he's asking for help, and he's a proud man, if he's asking for help for someone else, then it is necessary. Yep. And that's Picard's MO. I mean, every great accomplishment he's ever done has been in service to Starfleet, to humanity, to the galaxy. Yeah. He's not a guy who asks for favors lightly, and he's not someone who would sort of set his dignity aside and ask for help and admit his failings, which he does. He's not going to do that lightly. He's not going to do that just for a simple favor. He's going to do that because it's necessary and because he knows it's right. 
And he may take a while to get to that point. But when he gets to that point, I think we've seen in the past, when he gets to the point of doing what's right, he's set. It is because it's right. There's one other thing I want to point out about Elnor, which is from his choice of weapon to his hairstyle to the way Mm. he pledges his sword. How much do you feel that he was modeled after samurai? Oh, exactly. When I first saw him in the previews, even like, oh, they have a Romulan samurai. Yeah, basically. (laughs) I had the same thought. Is that in any way problematic as an example of cultural appropriation? I don't think I can speak on that. Yeah, That's me true. neither. I do know the um, the actor is native New Zealander, I believe. I'm going to double check. Does on New that. Zealand have samurai? No, I'm just saying I, I'm I'm curious about what the actor thinks of it. I also wonder how effective we expect swords to be. I mean, Sulu used them to great effect in the 2009 movie, but <laughs> generally they're. You're not going to get close enough to an opponent wielding a phaser in time to use a sword. I mean, just look at Indiana Jones. Well, they even had it in this episode uh-huh. where the guy's like, it's no match for a disruptor. And Picard's like, beam us out. <laughs> and they've clearly not watched Star Wars. Han Solo said that too. Yeah. Oh, but, but Yeah, he brought a sword to a gunfight. Yeah. I mean, he but, is uh, clearly it's frighteningly fast. Well, well even... These these mercenaries, these dudes, the, the senator and the others, they were also carrying swords. I mean, the Klingons all carry blades. Bladed weapons are not unusual in uh, Star Trek. Um, you do wonder how well trained he is. I mean, they talk about how um, the Romulan warrior nuns are the best single-hand combat folks. Um but how well trained are they with distance weapons? You know, has he been trained with? Or did he just learn what he read from the Three Musketeers? Yeah. I mean, they do talk about how he he's undergone all his trials and his training. They've trained him to be one of them, but he can never truly be one of them. Um, which... I thought was interesting. I also thought it was interesting that he was referred to by the people at the social club as sister boy because he's one of the sisters, but not one of them, which is a little gender essentialist, but for sure. Yeah. But also he identifies as male. Presumably he hasn't made a declaration about it, Um, but here he is waiting for a mission. You know, when Picard was waiting for to be transported out, when Elnor had not yet pledged his sword, and he goes into that social club, I found that very irresponsible. I mean, he only had to wait seven minutes to be beamed out to pursue a greater goal, and here he is just walking in, and I don't know what sort of reception he expected. Like, did he think the waiter would come over? But why? He's fight. I I have Let's thoughts see. on that. I think it's supposed. I think it's supposed to be um, showing some of the irrational behavior that we were warned about in the beginning oh. of the show. It's part of his medical condition. I forgot about that. 
I think we're supposed to be seeing some irrational behavior from him. Um, so I think, I you suppose- know, here he is and in a place that he used to be welcome and he's not welcome and he's making a point and he's going to do it the way he wants to do it. And I think the irrationality of that and sort of aggression of it speaks to a lack of, you know, yeah. ability to pull back. Rafi even calls him on that earlier in the holodeck ready room chateau and saying like, you're, you're wanting to go back here. Makes you question your sanity. Yeah. Also Picard neglected to tell his ship two to beam out and yet they somehow knew. So thank goodness for that. Yeah. <laughs> Rafi's just real good at that sort of thing. I mean, there's, there's a question of, was he trying to draw out El- Elnor assuming that Elnor was watching him or waiting, or was he just acting rashly? Because Elnor does come to his rescue, but there was no guarantee of that. It feels like it's a little hard to know Ra- or, um, Elnor after 14 years if he would actually do it or not. Yeah. Picard could have been yeah. in very hot water there. He but, was. Like, if it was. Like, if it was Gandalf sitting there, uh, and he had just had a fight with, I don't know, Frodo. He still knows Frodo, is some, and Frodo could help him. He still knows Frodo would jump in to save the day. But I don't know if Picard had that closeness yeah. of knowing Elnor's personality after 14 years. Yeah, and all he might have been demonstrating to Elnor was, I get myself into trouble unnecessarily, and you're going to have to save me from making my own mistakes. <laughs> look at look at how fast I'm going to die without you. Right. <laughs> Seven minutes is all I lasted. Although I do love that Elnor said he only pledges to lost causes, which Picard reveals later, because that reminded me of one of my all-time favorite films, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, where Jimmy Stewart says lost causes are the only ones worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. That's, I, that's I the love whole... the poetry of it. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole like sisterhood Yeah, it's, the, it's the whole thing, the Kalka, Kalankai, Kalkakai. Um, they only bind their swords to... They say it so fast, I couldn't catch every syllable. Um, I'll have to watch it several more times to catch everything. But they only bind their swords to lost causes. They'll go and work, you know, because they, they. she says um, that a whole bunch of the Kawat uh, Malad have gone to work guarding people on the roads and everything but they haven't bound their swords to that binding their swords is a different matter just to lost causes mm-hmm. uh well we're getting to an hour we should jump towards there's still one more scene to talk about yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i was just thinking that myself why don't we go ahead and discuss the surprise appearance quote unquote of a n- new old character yeah, I I had seen her name in the opening credits, so I knew she was showing up this episode. <laughs> See, I yeah. never watched for names in the opening credits, so it was a surprise to me who's on that ship. That That's a divide that Sabriel and I have encountered before, where I watch the opening credits and she does not, and she gets the pleasure of being surprised by it, whereas it's spoiled for me. So for me, I saw that name in the opening, and we're getting down to the last minute of the show, and she <laughs> hasn't shown up yet. And I'm like, gee, I wonder who could be on that ship. And I, I really need to make a point from now on to just gloss over the names and not pay attention to them, because 
I feel like that scene would have been so much more effective for me had it been a surprise. Oh man, yeah. And for me, I was like, what? (laughs) What are you doing here? Like I knew she was on the show, but I didn't know she was on this episode. I'm excited to see her. Um, I haven't watched Voyager, which is my failing, but uh, I that's next on my list. So, but I know the characters. I've picked up enough from Osmosis. Fandom Osmosis is pretty powerful, so I'm very excited to see her. Um, And now Picardos are a ship. Yeah, I'm interested to know what their familiarity was with each other. I mean, certainly they're both famous, so I'm not surprised that they know each other by name. But I want to know, have they interacted before? And I also want to know, how human is Seven of Nine? Because Picard calls her by that name and not her human name. And I want to know, does she still identify as Seven or as somebody else? I mean... That was even a question online. People were like, why is she still going by seven? I'm like, well, she's been, she was seven for seven years. She identifies as herself. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was not weird to me that she does not go as Annika Hansen, her actual human name, because she didn't, hadn't gone by that since she was a little girl. Right. But now it's been 14 years. She's reacclimated to life on Earth where she has human relatives. We, I mean, we only know what Picard called her. We don't know what she calls herself 14 years later. Yeah, but to me, it's not a surprise. I mean, I don't know, because someone, as someone who has changed their name, uh, like to me, it's like no surprise that she just goes by seven, if, if assuming that she, she does. Oh, yeah. I think also, it's, it's hard to step back into a childhood role. Yeah. Um, it's something that, you know, you see from like kids who come home from college and move back into home. Um, there's That's hard. You're moving back into a child role when you've been independent. That's very difficult. Um, you've forged a, a solo identity for yourself. And then you have family still calling you by a nickname that you haven't used since you left home. Um, so I could see that being very hard to go back to. I wouldn't necessarily expect her to keep the name Seven of Nine, but I also wouldn't expect her to go back to her childhood name. Sure. I mean, I think a lot of people change the permutation of their name when they start high school or college or any other new environment. Like they might go by Bethany instead of Beth or Liz instead of Elizabeth or Kenny instead of Ken, for example. (laughs) And so whether she's Annika or Seven or something else, maybe she's Mrs. Chakotay. Who knows? (laughs) Just threw up my mouth. Uh, no, you'll see, come to that, that weird calculated Ken. <laughs> <laughs> you will find out when you watch Voyager why I had that reaction. There, there, are, there are things that I'm not super looking forward to in Voyager, but yeah, cool. With um, the thanks for two the warning. Yeah. Um, uh, you, and you only get like one minute to realize it's happening too. Oh God! Before um, the show ends. <laughs> anyway, um, I also I would love to see a sort of quote unquote missing scene with two former Borg interacting, Picard yeah. and Seven of Nine. Because, you know, aside from Hugh, which, you know, they, he wasn't really available to sit down and have a conversation with, one of the more well-known former Borg for Seven of Nine to talk to would have been Picard. Right. Or Hugh. Yeah. Which at the well, and, but Hugh was wouldn't have been as easy to get a hold of and sit down with necessarily. I don't think. Right, we don't know what happened to him after Descent Part Two. Right, 
Uh, but yeah, that's what I was saying earlier was that all the named former Blo- Borg, Locutus, Hugh, and Seven, are all showing up in this series. And that's really fascinating. I would love to see what happens when they get together. Yeah. I'm wondering, now that it's sort of obvious that they're starting each episode with a 14 years ago, <laughs> you know, cold open, I'm wondering what other 14 years ago cold opens we're going to be getting. Yeah, how much more is there? I mean, 14 years ago, Maddox did this on to get the free cloud. I mean... I mean, who are we going to, whose relationships are we, are we going to get a 14 years ago, Picard and Seven of Nine had a conversation. Are we going to get that? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. But now that you mentioned it, that seems plausible. Because that does seem to be how they're using a lot of those 14 years ago is to both give us more timeline and fill that in and to give us background between character relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'm looking forward to it. Fingers so we crossed. are we are at the end of the episode of Picard. Are there any other closing remarks we want to share? Uh, two things I want to mention real quick. Do it. Uh, we actually got a named person who we did not see, Cal Kentar, who had the who was running the ancient the, the yeah. antique on Lamberta Prey. Like, why would they name this person we don't see? But then we barely even mention Hugh, who we do see. So it's a weird going back to the naming thing we were talking about earlier. It's a little weird, but hey, I think part cool of it. I mean, we could see him again. He could be real angry that uh, Picard cost him his antique Romulan warbird. Um, and I also think it it's not just, oh, yeah, a local warlord in a ship. It's a little bit easier, especially when you don't have a face to like point to, to name someone who is a local problem. True, so you, true. You could have it's just named hard. a group that's being a local problem. But it gives it a little oh. bit more of a, oh yeah, this guy has really tried to consolidate power, and he's a he's a pain. That's that brings me to one note I did forget entirely. When Picard came back to Vashti, mm-hmm. he's looking around and he notices notices armbands on a few of yeah. the Romulans there. There, they were very reminiscent of Nazi symbols. The the uh, not Romulans first. What would they call themselves? The um, I wrote it down here, Romulan Rebirth Movement. Yes. And I don't know if that is the Romulan Rebirth symbol, or maybe that's Cal, Ken, Cal, Cal, Russian, whatever guy. Uh. It's, I think it's implied that it is, because they do talk about how Vashti is now sort of a, a hotbed for the uh, Romulan Rebirth Movement. And right after we hear that, we see those armbands on very prominent display. Yeah. That's what made me think of that first. So uh, I wanted to mention that because I entirely forgot that I had that in my notes here. And what's the other thing you wanted to bring up? Oh, <laughs> someone was being cheeky on the internet. And it's like, uh, the director for this one was Jonathan Frakes. Yes. Most people remember him for directing Sub Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when he's actually done tons of directorial work for Star Trek and other shows. But I just love that little cheeky nod to Sub Rosa. Hey, we all have our good days and our bad days. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think it was his directing of the episode. I think it was the story. Right. You know, I'd rather remember him for such hit films as Thunderbirds and Clockstoppers. <laughs> or Star Trek Insurrection. Star Trek First Contact, too. Or playing chef in Enterprise. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking up some images because um, one of the things that the Romulan Rebirth symbol reminded me of was um, the Terra Prime symbol, which is yes. also a 
triangle, but with Earth in the middle of it, because I am just at the end of Enterprise now, and so I have just hit uh, and finished those episodes. And the other one I'm looking up right now, it almost feels like an inverse of the Terran Empire symbol, which is an upside down uh, uh, delta with Earth in the middle of it. The sword slashing through it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's got that same sort of iconography of there being a, a sort of circle in the middle and some sort of uh, bladed triangular shape coming through it. And that seems to be the Star Trek Nazi symbol. Yeah. I mean, every one of these groups was all about xenophobia. Yeah, they're all horrible. <laughs> so, um, I, but I'm curious because I'm wondering how intentional this sort of shared iconography is versus how much it is of a, we want to lean away from certain other symbols or we want to have it give a certain, you know, tone to it. There's a, a an aggressiveness to uh, having a triangle sort of pointing through a circle. Yeah. Interesting. Any other low, any other closing remarks? I, I'm just curious to see what's happening with Narek now, because he does seem to be questioning a little bit. Um, that I, I, I'm with Sabriel. I'm finding those scenes to be a little on the slow side. I'm not as super into them, but I am curious to see whether he continues to question more than he causes Soji to question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the introduction of Seven of Nine and of Hugh, mm-hmm. and with the imminent discovery, I hope, of Bruce Maddox, that things on the board cube are about to get very heated. Me too. Though I, I think we're about to get a, uh, a casino episode of uh, Picard. So. We'll see how much that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Up. Yes. I, I su- <laughs> yeah. I suspect, kind of like the old TV show Starman, based on the movie, that we'll always be one step behind the person we're trying to yeah. find. That they'll get to free clown and they'll be like, oh, Bruce Maddox was here, but that was a year ago and he's <laughs> left. And then they'll go to where he was and they'll be like, oh, you just missed him. <laughs> I'm just wondering how much time is actually going to be spent on them being in these um, horrific disguises with uh, panache, as Robbie says, <laughs> and whether what we're seeing actually represents maybe like five minutes of the show versus the rest of it, or if it really is going to be the chunk of the episode as them all dressed up. Maybe we'll get Picard. We'll in see. The, we'll see. Picard in the don't listen to him, Gloria <laughs> uh, moment <laughs> on the holodeck adventures. If they are going to a casino, then there needs to be a lounge. And if there is a lounge, there needs to be Vic Fontaine. <laughs> You're so right. Just saying. That would be really funny. Emergency entertainment hologram there right there. <laughs> so, all right. So on that note, that's, this has been Transporter Lock for Absolute Candor. So looking forward to the remaining 60% oh. of the first season of Picard. I know, right? We're almost halfway like done. That, it and it's already like been renewed enough. for a second season. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, I know. We need more. But there will be more. There'll be an entire second season yes! with Guinan. Yay! Something to look forward to. So, until then... Engage. What? You changed it. Hit it. <laughs> <laughs>
If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. <laughs>